Assalamu alaikum, everyone. Welcome to the Finding Islam podcast. Welcome to our second episode. I'm your host, Abir, the lifestyle editor for Finding Islam. Today, I'm very happy to say I'm joined by three very uh, respected and intelligent brothers, uh, Brother Abdullah, Brother Muhammad, and Brother Khubeb. So yeah, well, uh, how about you guys introduce yourselves? So starting with Abdullah, let the people know who you are. Cool. Uh, assalamu alaikum, guys. Uh, I am a contributor at Finding Islam. Um, personally, I am an undergraduate student of architecture in the UK. Um, and I'm interested in, on a personal capacity, um, Islamic art. Um, if we you know, uh, speak of the devil, uh, we'll discuss what that means, perhaps what that could mean. Um, culture, civilization, um, and the idea of beauty and how it relates to different parts of life, so politics, etc. Uh, so yeah, that's me. Inshallah, I'll pass on to Mari. Okay. Assalamu uh, My name is Muhammad. Uh, I am, a, or my training is in, I have a master's degree in history and Islamic societies and culture. Uh, I am currently a history teacher uh, at an Islamic school. Personally, my interests are in Islamic history, uh, the Islamic world, broadly speaking, philosophy, intellectual history and development, uh, as well as po- politics, political theory uh, and philosophy. I hadn't said that already. Uh, but yeah, those are kind of broadly speaking my interests. Uh, we'll hand it off to Khubeib. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I'm, I'm Khubeib. Um, uh, I, I guess I did, I did law at undergrad and at master's level, and I'm currently a, a researcher, a legal researcher, and my interests um, cover um, law, of course, Islamic law, uh, Islamic history. Um, aspects of Islamic legal philosophy um, and uh, and general uh, theories of uh, of resistance and uh, and uh, so on, yeah. And translation, very much interested in in, trans- in the translation of Arabic into uh, into English. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's great to have you guys here. Um, this is our uh, it's only our second episode, and it's the first one where it's more than just me talking, which I think is a great way in general to progress with these podcasts and. In true 2020 fashion, uh, this podcast topic is all about labels. You know, it's all about kind of, I suppose, identity politics and uh, I suppose how we often frame ourselves under these labels, particularly the label of Islamic. You know, like us for being Muslims and being uh, particularly from the West, I think, or at least living in the West, we tend to notice, um, I think it's fair to say quite frequently, especially uh, in our generation and on social media, how terms like Islamic history, Islamic culture, and so on get thrown around. Um, I imagine particularly if like yourselves, uh, Khubeb and Marie, given your, your backgrounds are kind of in the, um, you know, you study kind of arts degrees. It's like if that, and, and particularly like an arts and humanities college as well, that was probably more noticeable as well for you than it was even for myself, you know, because uh, you guys, art students, all, all about that kind of stuff, you know. And um yeah, I suppose this, like, in our own kind of natural conversation, this stuff, you know, these things tend to come up. Um, and I always find it interesting mm-hmm. seeing, it's not even purely Islamic stuff, but uh, even non, like, uh, non-Muslims, and especially when it comes to politics, like to frame themselves, you know, liberal, conservative, especially in, like, the U.S., it's probably strongest. And it tends to then frame mm-hmm. their whole way of thinking, their whole identity, and so, to some level, their personality. And I think you tend to see the same as well within the Muslim space, you know, when it comes to, you know, Madahib and, uh, or Akhida and these things, you know, mm. um, in terms of like a history context, um, you see it a lot with the term Islamic history and so on. Like Marie, I'm sure, uh, you've, t- you've touched on that a lot, you know, in our own kind of conversations. Um, 
I suppose uh, it's, yeah, it's just always a tricky one, you know, how we view kind of a history and what we define as Islamic. You know, it's something I sometimes struggle with myself, you know, in terms of what actually constitutes as Islamic. Yeah, totally. Um, so like from a, a historical angle, one thing that historians really like to do um, that kind of messes things up is they like to draw borders and boundaries. Uh, mainly these are intellectual uh, boundaries and borders and conceptual boundaries. So we talk about the West. What is the West and what do we mean by the West? This is all like the word itself comes to represent something else. Um, and the West kind of in political parlance, in uh, intellectual stuff, they kind of generally mean Europe uh, and America, but like particularly Britain and America um, by and large. Uh, when they say the West, um, and they, this whole idea is also built up on its own set of internal self-conceptions and its own narrative of history, its own developmental narrative and whatnot. Um, and then you get into Islamic, uh, which from just like a purely historical st- or the the label of Islamic, um, and from a purely historical standpoint, the idea of the Islamic world is just this. It is a world that is commonly defined by Islam. It begins with the Prophet ﷺ and it continues up until this day, basically. It is a world that is essential, that can be essentialized around the topic of Islam, around the idea of uh, Islam and submission and the faith and whatnot. And then literally everything else gets subsumed under this uh, topic. So then you can talk about Islamic sciences, which depending on who your audience is, can mean the Islamic religious sciences, or it can mean Islamic science in like the development of the modern secular physical sciences in the Islamic world, um, depending on contexts uh, and the audience. Uh, And then you also have like Islamic poetry, Islamic art, and anything that comes out of whatever we define to be Islamic becomes now Islamic poetry or Islamic art, even though it may, even though from the Muslim point of view or from the point of view of the people who made it, they may not have have classified it as such. and I mean, this is hmm. obviously this is glossing over a lot of stuff. There's more nuance when it comes to this. So, like, people do talk about Arabic poetry yeah. or Jahili poetry. It's not that all Arabic poetry now becomes Islamic, but that it falls under generally the uh, the banner of the Islamic world. And this comes into op- this notion of the Islamic world is often juxtaposed uh, with the Christian world. Uh, and like, I can talk a lot about the. the creation of these labels and these notions in history uh, and how they are much more problematic than they would seem to be. Um, but that's not necessarily what we're discussing here today. Hmm. Uh, I think, I think you raised, you, you raised some important, uh, important points there, Muhammad. And uh, I guess just uh, maybe to, to bring it down to, to, to the individual level uh, to, to a certain degree, because yeah, I think this matter of, of what is Islamic and then what isn't, and and how do we go about uh, <laughs> understanding ourselves in in that context? Uh, it, it's come up a lot in in situations I would have never uh, expected it to. Uh, for instance, I, I remember when I was when I was at school, and uh, um, you know, my, my Muslim my Muslim other Muslim students uh, were always were always present uh, around us, and uh, and. For one, even though many of them were not practicing, many of them did not, I guess, want to necessarily be, become practicing uh, as such. Um, 
there, there was always this impression that, uh, you know, th there is something out there that is good and that's great and good and true. And I don't really understand what it is, uh, perhaps from, from their perspective, but that's what I belong to and identify with. Uh, I, I always got that, that impression uh, that, that even where, you know, in, individuals who, I guess, were, were culturally, culturally Muslim or, or, or something of the sort, even when they did not necessarily understand uh, Islam or have a great interest in, in pursuing it uh, uh, properly, th there was always this kind of firm conviction that somewhere out there, uh, there is an Islam and I, and I belong with that and it is great and good and true. Um, so yep. from, from, from that perspective, I guess, um, it, it, that, that's a very broad uh, understanding of, of, of the concept. You know, um, it's, it's just a general thing that all of these people, whether they're practicing or not, feel they they identify with and th there is a trend and actually uh, I've, yep. I've noticed it, it might be a bigger trend than perhaps we, we recognize uh, that, that there are many, many people out there who um, are, are Muslims purely, purely for this reason that they feel like they, they, they want to belong to something and they feel that it is, uh, you know, it is, it is correct, but they don't necessarily um, have the, the willpower to, or, or, or whatever it is to, um, uh, if you understand, if, I, if you, I'm not sure if I'm making sense. Yeah, no, I get your point. Mm. They, that you have people who identify as Muslims on a personal level, mm. regardless of how closely they follow the the Sharia or the the Fiqh of Islam and how well they recognize their own standing mm. with regards to Islamic orthodoxy mm. or understandings of orthodoxy, and that's uh, an entirely kind of or not separate discussion of Islamic, but that is one of the discussions of like a, a much more personal discussion, as you said, mm. how do I find myself with regards to this overarching understanding of Islam and, and Muslimness, basically? Mm. I think it's relevant because... Uh, um... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, please. I think just to put it in a bit more of a... Sure, very quickly. Just to put it, perhaps, uh, to, to be devil's advocate, I think there is a, a sense of a binary um, in that there is definitely, uh, to me at least, there's a, there's a paradigm which can be considered as Islamic, um, regardless, and, and that's what people recognize, perhaps, right? Um, and, and people who live within, historically live within a, a quote-unquote Muslim area, they, they generally, what you live within an Islamic paradigm, which is the kind of the, the culture, essentially, the taboos, the, the, the et cetera, et cetera, the values, the philosophy, most importantly, is inherently Islamic. So you have uh, concepts and ideas which just run through everything, right? Tawheed is something which is, is present in every kind of quote-unquote Islamic uh, piece of culture, regardless of whether the people being, uh, you know, en enacting the culture know whether it is or not. So, for example, this is distinctly different from the idea of Muslim. Um, we'll, t we'll take the example of art, right? Um, I, was, I think I was looking at a piece of uh, Renovatio um, content, I can't remember what it was, where the example used was you have Zayn Malik, who... Uh, was a uh, Muslim uh, singer, um, and when he was a Muslim, he wasn't. Well, the the art he was creating was not Islamic art; it was just a Muslim thing. However, you have the Prince of the UK who runs an art foundation in which one of the classes is to teach Arabic calligraphy, which is a distinctly Islamic art, regardless of whether the artist is Islamic or not. It's because the the the, 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 the paradigm in which the art is operating. 
is very clear that it is Islamic. For example, we'll talk about in architecture, we have some concepts that are very strong in Islamic architecture, regardless of whether the builders have any idea what they're doing. It's just so wound in that paradigm that it's not recognized anymore. So you have the idea of borders, which are very clear in, in, in our art. You'll see that everything is delineated very nicely. Everything is defined very clearly. There's no uh, blending or blurring of different boundaries. Everything is very clear. And we can see how this reflects in our uh, philosophy as well. You have other things like there's a very common idea of visually you'll have an element which is a central kind of core element in a piece of art. And there's many elements that break off of it, off it, and kind of repeat into patterns of infinite multiplicity. And we know exactly where this is, what this is referencing, right? This is Tawhid. Um, regardless of whether the, art, the artist knows what they're doing, the philosophy is very easily readable. Um, so I think there's a difference between a kind of Muslim and Islamic. It's typical, right? Um, but, but I think there is, and it, you don't have to be. I, I don't think that the, the quote-unquote Islamic has to come from the quote-unquote Muslim. Yeah, I think the philosophy stands on its own. I think sometimes that's, I think that's where the nuance of this mm -hmm. topic really comes in. It's uh, how the fact that because I think, jump straight into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that's you can have something produced that fits the term Islamic by someone who isn't Islamic, um, and vice versa as well. And uh, like, like I'm 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 a most practicing Muslim, but I'm also an engineer. But that doesn't mean my the engineering work I do is Islamic in any way. Um, stuff like that and that applies i think to a lot of us in terms of our daily lives so when it comes to like things like art i think what art culture and these things are especially what people love to label and view as islamic because we get that you know inherent pride like um whenever we see yeah. this like this amazing structure was was designed by um, a muslim architect uh, or like this structure takes inspiration from islam like um historical historically islamic architecture maybe from you know, Muslim regions, whether it's Turkey, Pakistan, or so on. That's it. It, it fits into that. I think what Kobe was touching on, of how people like, basically, they like to, they like to feel pride in in who they are mm -hmm. and in terms of the group that they're in. I think it's just a very natural human thing. You want to be part of a group, and even yeah, if I, I would say that maybe I think um, that the what's been criticised is the Orientalist of bunching into Islamic and non-Islamic groups is a problem. Yeah. However, from within the paradigm, claiming something as Islamic is, is something which should be done. Because, like, you know, you have Jalaluddin Rumi, who is now the most famous poet in the US. Um, and because we haven't claimed that as inherently from within our paradigm, it's just dissolved in, until nothing exists anymore. Right? You, have, you have a building and you take the foundations out. The building is not going to float on its own, right? That, that, that poetry is indistinguishable. It, it, it's, you can't distinguish that as poetry anymore. It just doesn't exist because the foundations aren't there. Um, that's one side. So I think it's very dangerous to not uh, claim something as Islamic from within. However, from without, to, to bunch everything together as Islamic is a problem. I think what this might lead to is instead of saying that this is, for example, Farsi architecture, Turkish architecture, is Islamic architecture, instead of saying that, which is like a reductive thing, it's saying all of these different, inherently different styles all possess the same element, which is mm. an Islamic yeah. philosophy, and they reflect that. As opposed to, uh, I don't know how to define that difference, but I feel like uh, I think that makes sense. And sorry, Abdul, I think I cut you off. No, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, I think it's a tricky thing. I think, yeah, because I think <laughs> this is always going to be people upset as well, no matter how you label it. How you label it, um, like if you say, "Oh, this is a great example of of uh, Pakistani architecture." You know, like for example, 
um, you know, there's a Faisal Mosque in Islamabad. You know, someone could look at that and say, oh, wow, look, this is this incredible architecture in Pakistan, really inspiring Pakistani architecture. But uh, the, the design for that was uh, actually submitted by a, uh, it was by a Turkish, Turkish man. So then is it Turkish mm-hmm. architecture? Do you know? So like, that's where it becomes, you know, it's true. Like, I think it's just something that there's no, you know, way to like label everything it's, perfectly. Uh, it's this um, issue of kind yeah. of looking at something kind of from the third person zoomed out, looking down, as opposed to first person living it, looking mm-hmm. at it. Yep. Everything we do, like, or not everything yeah. we do, but like, well, let me find the right words for this. Um, when we live our lives and like we're talking about creating things or working within paradigms or uh, things that are influenced by a much larger, much deeper philosophy like uh, art or politics or whatever that come that have their basis in Islam or in Islamic teachings or in Islamic history, these are things that are naturally Islamic. But then you end up with this kind of multiple definitions of islam so like if we're saying that this is an islamic teaching that we mean that this is something religious whereas if we're talking about something that is cultural we can be talking about something that is culturally from the muslim world that was produced by muslims within the broader islamic culture but not necessarily in line with islamic teachings or islamic religious teachings so something that is like a classic of islamic or like in Islamic work, uh, 1001 Nights, Alf Layla Layla, contains stories within it that in their multi, like not all of them essentially conform to orthodox standards of Islamic propriety, subject matter. Uh, I mean, there's drug use, there's uh, ludity, there, like there are a number of stories within the, the overarching story of 1001 Nights that are not necessarily religious in nature. So if we're using the term Islamic to uh, denote a strict uh, upholding of like Islamic religious norms and understandings, then something like Alf Layla sits outside of that, even though Elf Layla Layla itself comes from and is born within an Islamic uh, culture, by and large, uh, having its roots, of course, in, in the, the culture of the time, which was obviously touched by these Islamic teachings. Mm. Um, but the idea is when kind of we decide to draw borders within the tradition. So this is something that is Islamic in the religious sense. This is something that is Islamic in the cultural sense. And all of these fit within this kind of or can, if you zoom out far enough, all of these fit within this rather amorphous discussion of Islam, um, which is then, or the Islamic world, which is then uh, juxtaposed with the Christian world, as if the two are uh, inherently different and essentially incompatible, even though historically there was a lot of like give and take and discussion and, and kind of like you could have one foot in and out. Uh, and this, this, just, this juxtaposition also kind of erases a lot of what went on on the borders. I think actually you, you raised quite a, and actually this is a partial response also to, to you, Abdullah, when, you, when you're talking about, about Rumi and, and, and the way he's, I mean, he's, he's not the most popular uh, poet in, in America. When, when we speak of, uh, of something being, being Islamic or actually being American even, um, or, 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 any, or any of that sort of, uh, I guess, um, um, a transplant of, of one thing into in, into another culture and into another context. Um, f- first of all, when we speak of, an is, of of things that are produced within uh, an Islamic culture, and I, I, don't, I don't want to necessarily use use that term because um, it's 
when we speak of of the context in which all, many like, like this art and, and poetry and 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 so on architecture was produced it was a given that uh, the context was islamic everything uh, that the people were interacting with was was islamic uh, the, the, their very life was an interaction with uh, with the islamic norms and uh, and, and rulings and uh, and ideas and, and philosophy and, and so on and so forth so whatever they were going to produce was naturally going to be a form of engagement with uh, with the, with the tradition in that sense with with allah with tawhid with the with the life mm-hmm. of the prophet sallallahu alaihi with uh, his sunnah and, and so on it's uh, it, it was a living it is and was a a living part of our people's lives um um and so even even when we uh, i guess consider things that are not necessarily islamic like um uh, per se some people bring up the uh, um greek philosophers for instance uh, who who occupied a, a a tremendous role in within uh, i guess the uh, the intellectual the intellectual um uh thought of, the, uh, of of across across islamic history and and all of these philosophers were given <laughs> these very islamic sounding names and and and, and so on and so forth i, I was reading Exactly, exactly. When, when I was reading um, somewhere that when, when you speak of uh, of uh, Aflatorn, it's not like speaking of of Plato. It's a completely it's a completely different context. It, it gives completely different, um, uh, I guess, um, um, insinuations. Is that the word? Um, yeah, you, you occupy a very different um, kind of uh, intellectual uh, conception of the world. Um, and likewise, when we speak of when an American speaks of of Rumi, at least, um, who, and I guess in that sense, Rumi has been kind of uh, completely transplanted uh, into into American into American culture and uh, and understandings of the world, and uh, and in in many senses adapted and tamed to 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 reflect only the ideals of that uh, of that culture. Um, uh, there's the, the, some give and take because any process of uh, of transplantation is is not is not a one way process. It's, it's, there's always going to be uh, a, a degree of influence, and, and I guess that's what we're what Muslims are trying to do by taking Rumi back, if you will, if that can be done. Um, I would say with the case of Rumi, it's less that he's been transplanted and that there was a proper give and take, as opposed to a whitewashing. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's been written recently about the process by which Rumi's poetry, especially the Masnavi, which was considered in some circles to be second only to the Quran uh, in terms of its religious authority, has been entire. That Rumi has gone from a Sufi master and an Islamic spiritualist to just a poet. Uh, that all mentioned to Tawheed, to Islam, which were central to Rumi's personal beliefs and his work, uh, has been stripped away in favor of this kind of liberal, new agey understanding of God and spirituality. I'm sure the same can be said of, uh, for instance, when when any any ancient philosophers were transplanted into into Islamic uh, Islamic philosophy and so on. We're not we're not we're not we're not, we're not engaged. No, no, we're not engaging necessarily. With, uh, with with the philosopher per se, we're engaging so, the with them from our uh, Islamic standpoint, and we are in one way or another Islamizing them, um, particularly particularly in the tradition of Islamic philosophy, where mm-hmm. actually some of these philosophers were viewed as an authority. In order for them to be an authority, they need to be Islamized. They have to have that legitimacy, that Islamic legitimacy. For them to have that Islamic legit- legitimacy, you must in in some way, shape, or form 
make them into into Islamic figures. You, you understand? Um, yeah, yeah. So, so, so in, in that way, not only are you Islamizing them, you're also using them to interpret Islam. Yeah, I think um, maybe I think there might be a difference in that uh, the, the the example of Rumi is is, is a reduction. Uh, you're you're taking away from him and his art. Uh, you're 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 minimizing only to the bits which are palatable. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Hobe, please, um, because I'm. This is an area of history which I'm very weak on. Mm-hmm. Um, but when uh, you know the traditions took from the uh, philosophers, uh, you know what we call, as in the Greeks, um, my understanding is that it was a uh, perhaps there was a limiting as well, uh, but it was more of a importing them um, into their life and then just saying they were people to take from. Um, and that's why you have people like Al-Ghazali who deconstructs what they what they stood for um, and, and explains why it's it's something that's problematic from our paradigm. Um, I, I think perhaps if they were palatable in a quote-unquote Islamic sense, there wouldn't be a need for um, you Ghazali's know, work um, to, to kind of show why there's a problem there. Um, whereas with Rumi, it's, it's literally a kind of the foundations are gone, right? And, and nothing really exists. It's just the name Rumi now. I don't know. Correct me, inshallah, if I'm... No, no, you're, you're, completely, you're completely right in, in, in identifying that, of course, the, the philosophers, <laughs> they, they, there were many rebuttals uh, against mm-hmm. them. And, and uh, what, 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 I guess because what we're, trying, what we're discussing is what is Islamic, um, this leads us to the question of whether, how the philosophers themselves, who were seen as, I guess, heretical, and to this day, they are seen as heretical, and, and, not, and not many people perhaps take them seriously as, as Islamic authorities, they themselves, within their own, I guess, um, intellectual circles, did try to justify their thought from an Islamic perspective. So, so even even they, um, uh, first of all, what they what they thought that what they were doing and what, what they were engaging in was essentially Islamic, um, and and because they they occupied uh, an Islamic an Islamic milieu, if you will. Um, yeah, and uh, what what they produced can be viewed <laughs> and and is is viewed for sure as as part of Islamic history, Islamic intellectual production, and and so on and so forth. With you think it's as, yeah. Oh no, no, of course, of course, it it it. it I mean, uh, I, I I don't think there is a there is a. I'm not sure if it's possible to say that they're not part of Islamic intellectual history because I guess they 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 occupied the time period and and they many of them were. I guess externally, at least, uh, Muslim. Um, there is more of a debate when we're talking about. Oh, can we say that Plato and Aristotle and and and, and these pre-Islamic because can can we speak of them as being Islamic? I think that there is a, there is certainly a debate to be had there. But uh, from that uh, answer to the question, I think what we're we're mm-hmm. kind of reaching here. Um, so mm-hmm. you said that. Even though they weren't distinctly following the the, the overt um, understanding of Islam, uh, they are mm. still within some some nebulous thing called Islamic culture. Right? I think what we what we're perhaps reaching is the idea that this quote unquote Islamic cloud contains the religion of Islam in its purity, right? Not the other way around. Mm. That the religion of Islam doesn't. Because it can't, because uh, the religion itself cannot, it can't accommodate for these things, right? Because these things are not really, like some, they're just not acceptable, right? For khalas. Um, so I think, so you have this cloud in which is the, the, the and within the cloud is the, the, the pure uh, object. And then you have the, the roots that kind of come off it. But the thing is, those roots only exist because of the, the pure object, which, you know, we can call it like the, 
I don't know the, the mm-hmm. I don't say heart because that makes it sound cringy as well, but this, this one yeah the source because I think what we we have a problem where sometimes uh, some people some historians they'll they'll completely binarize is that a word I don't know they'll they'll separate uh, culture and din right and they'll say that oh this is this is not religion this is culture and which is so true sometimes well, it is not. but when you when you have a when you have um, one thousand one nights for example. That book uh, would not exist in the form that it does today without the with rather religion because they're just so intimately interwo- interwoven that they are from one. I mean, the one is from the other. Um, even though it's not, it doesn't respect the other. Really, it doesn't. It doesn't expect that respect the dean, but it's still from the dean, and it can't exist without the dean, right? So it's kind of like it's a amorphous cloud in which you have this kind of excellent center, and everything else is kind of mm-hmm. diluted. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys would agree with that model. I, I, I see. I, I completely see what you're saying. Uh, and actually, uh, I guess if, if we if we want to go for a very um, a purist purist approach to what is what is Islamic, then uh, uh, then, then of course it, it it would it would be a very simple uh, process of of finding of finding a hadith and uh, and uh, with the, with the barest minimum of, of what a Muslim must do. And uh, we can say that that is the the, the base minimum of what of what Islamic is, and we don't need to go beyond that. But because Islam has history. Which is which is a valid approach, right? In terms of the deen, that, that's the right way to go, I guess. Um, the consensus plus that, that plus the consensus. But in terms of like culture and stuff, maybe it's a bit more complex. If we're speaking right? of Islam as history, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I think politically as well as we're like it's complicated. Like um, in the UK, it's a big thing about um, uh, having a, like a legal definition for Islamophobia, for example. It's something that's mm-hmm. been frankly an ongoing battle because you have that for like anti-Semitism, which is why. It's for someone or a statement or something to be labeled as anti-Semitic is rather, uh, I suppose it happens a lot more easily than something or a person's actions being labeled as Islamophobic mm-hmm. because Islamophobia is still something that doesn't have a very clear definition, at least in a political sense. And what we see as well, is, despite that, is politicians and so on, they still use the term like Islamic radicalism, Islamic terrorism, and these things. And just you know, just yesterday, Macron made uh, Emmanuel Macron, French president, made that statement saying uh, Islam is in crisis. You know, um, and he gave his whole wonderful speech about protecting protecting secularism in France and so on, um, and uh, so and, and all that all that wonderful stuff. And so, like these terms get used whenever it suits political these political agendas, but whenever it comes to issues of uh, defending Muslims, it becomes a lot more difficult. Um, you know, with the example of the term Islamophobia being so difficult to at least push out and have an actual definition for, but I think part of this is the problem as well. Then, in like actions that that are you know actions that um, are, are are good for Muslims and like done good by Muslims, you know, don't get claimed as such. Whereas actions that are then you know wrong or done done by someone deranged then get claimed as. Uh, with the term Islamic, Islamic terrorism, Islamic radical, radicalization, and these things. Um, so I think, as well as culturally, I think the political spheres where it becomes a term that's very, I suppose, difficult to deal with and, and, and use correctly and kind of, um, I mean, it's something, especially as Muslims, we've been dealing with for uh, years and years now, um, and, and it doesn't look like, unfortunately, that's, that's changing uh, these days. Bro, I attended a, a seminar um, University of Bristol lecturer who was 
the author of the Labour definition of Islamophobia in the UK, um, right? And this definition, I, I think this is the definition that the Tories are using now. I'm not sure. Don't take my word for it. But the definition he penned, um, you know, Muslim lecturer himself, um, academic, um, he penned a definition in which the, 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 the understanding of Islamic was cultural. Colossal. Like, he, there wasn't really much there other than culturally Islamic. So you have a situation where I, I asked him in the seminar, this is the exact question I asked. I said, you know, we have two situations, A and B. A is you have a shop counter, a lady, Asian lady in a hijab walks over to the, the, so the manager of the shop, asks if she can get a job at the shop. Um, he says no, because you are, a, he says no, and you know, it looks like he's being a bit, and it's proven that he, he doesn't like Muslims, blah, blah, blah. That is under the definition that's Islamophobic because she is she is Muslim, and you know like visually. I said situation B: you have a white quote unquote British convert um, with a you know maybe he's got a bit of a beard, right? But he's you know just an average guy. Walks in, can I get a job? No, and it's also because he's Muslim. That is not Islamophobic under the definition. Uh, that's what he said to me. That those situations would not be the same situation under the definition because in the first situation you are discriminating. Against uh, so so for example a Sikh uh, an attack against the Sikh is Islamophobic if the person who attacks them thinks they're a Muslim, but attack yeah. against the you know uh, so so this is why you're right that it's a very awkward yeah extremely awkward thing because then I think Khabib uh, makes a really good point that like we could just go down the purest idea right and say that you know does this guy believe in Allah and the Sikhs um, <laughs> the Sikhs philosophy man and like but you know um, it's hard to get a secular. Uh, law framework to do that right so i was wondering what you guys think yeah i think it well. touches on a point as well with what you're saying on the, the attempt to despiritualize islam and despiritualize uh you know yes. what we like muslims basically um by trying to define these terms purely as cultural and we see it all the time in our media as well like the top um sh shows that we see that get lauded for their portrayal of muslims are Aziz Ansari's Master of None on Netflix. Um, you know, he's supposedly Muslim, but he, he drinks, he's poor, because no problem with that. He's in, uh, he's in, you know, has relationships and so on with women. And then the other one is uh, Rami. Again, a show featuring and written, you know, produced by a Muslim, Egyptian, uh, well, American-born, Egyptian originally Muslim. And again, smoking weed, drinking, um non-marital relations all these things are present in this show and these these shows are lauded as you know for their uh, for their portrayal of muslims purely because from me from what i can see looking at it is it's good to show muslims that aren't really practicing the religion it's good to show muslims that or at least really it's it's better to show them when they're not doing things that are correct according to the according to our actual religion basically basically secularizing the religion and it touches on Kobe something you said earlier as well about um like the the like people who aren't as practicing in Islam but still identify themselves in that way and kind of the mix the the the, the, the lines that get blurred between religion and culture because in in Rami there's a part of the show where he he goes back to he goes to Egypt and his, his reasoning is to get more in touch with his religion um but in another podcast uh, I listened to which was discussing this a boys in the cave podcast very good podcast recommend that you listen to that one after after this one is um they, they, you know, one of the one of the hosts of that podcast made the point that 
that's not really he's not really searching for religion. He's going there because of his culture. You know, that's what that's what he's actually looking for. And his actions reflect that as well, because even once he when he's in Egypt, he's still uh, he's still those things that are, are not correct in terms of our religion. Is he looking for a is he looking for a space that, that utilizes and operates within an Islamic paradigm now? Um, because I think there's a scene where he goes um, and it was on Twitter. It was like two minutes. Um, and like he goes and his cousin, I think it's like someone he meets at the airport. And he asks him, you know, can we go to the masjid? And the guy's like, and the guy asks him like what kind of music he's like he likes and stuff. And he, the, the Egyptian guy starts talking about American music and Rami's just thinking like, bro, like did I even change country? Um, so it's almost as if he, he was looking for a different paradigm and he didn't find it. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe that's what, is that what he was looking for? Perhaps. They touched on that. Yeah, they do touch on that in the show. Like apparently, like I think, like he, it's his cousin, I think, who like takes him around and like basically he realizes in Egypt his family is not very religious either, um, which I guess was trying to try and show, oh, whether you're in a non-Muslim country or a Muslim country is pretty much the same. You know, everyone's just doing what they want. Um, and if you want to have that portrayal to some degree, fine, it makes sense. But like at the same time, um, it's it's still constantly spinning that narrative. You know, there's like even when they have Muslims in that show, like they have. Um, a scene that I, it was on Twitter as well. I remember seeing the scene of like two guys talking about uh, different, like their favorite Qaris, basically, like the reciters of Quran. And they're, they're speaking about it as if these are rap artists, you know, like the saying, or like mm-hmm. this guy, you know, is like it has a real nice lo fi recitation. And it's <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm, like talking about, you know, the Quran in this manner. Uh, to be honest, it just, I really did, did not like it. But like, again, it touches on. <laughs> the secularization, I think, of um, mm. Islam and how we view it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now, one thing I will say um, in his defense, Rami's defense, that I do think we have to somewhat acknowledge is he said he was well, he wasn't trying to basically portray necessarily this is this is how Muslims are be representative for Muslims, and that the show basically fit, it it goes about it's it fits. Um, it kind of portrays his own experiences growing up, like his family, from what I understand, weren't practicing really. He wasn't really raised as a practicing Muslim. Um, and that's fine. Again, like, yeah, you have to acknowledge non-practicing Muslims do exist. And uh, there are, you know, people in, in our, you know, unfortunately, um, communities that do things like drinkers. Well, Money found that hilarious. No, no, no. So it wasn't because I was actually going to bring this point up. I was waiting for you guys to finish and I was going to try and bring this point up that the issue isn't so much the, that Rami is like pushing this narrative of like secularizing Islam and look, Muslims are bad too. Uh, it's more representative. Uh, it's more a representation of how Muslims live in this Western culture. Uh, it was something, cause I was having these discussions in my masjid with some of my uncles there, my, my elders there. And he was saying like, Oh, when you're giving the khutbah, like lace in the, the etiquette, of the khutbah, remind them not to speak, remind them to to respect the, the khutbah and the, to listen to the lecture. And I'm like, isn't this already a given? Shouldn't they already know this? And he's like, no, between me and you, it is only a minority of our children who know the who are taught the etiquette of the khutbah. The vast majority of them are in the public schools and have very little exposure to orthodox standard understandings of Islamic etiquette and behavior. And they're kind of left to their own devices. So especially if when we're talking about the American Muslim community, we're talking about – we basically have wide ranges 
of uh, practicing and non-practicing and like everything on that spectrum. And that those who are practicing and committed to their practice of Islam and like actively attend the masjid weekly or for Jum'ah or come for the, the rest of the, the obligatory prayers and spend time and are part of the community and actually have an understanding of their faith are actually a minority, uh, whereas the, the vaster majority have a much more given type, like a, a much more, a much looser interaction with their faith. Uh, mm. And that's something that I thought like should be uh, recognized. And that's why I was laughing because like the, the idea of non-practicing Muslims should be recognized. Of course they should. But we're talking about like that statement almost made it sound like that they were the minority and that the majority of Muslims were practicing where perhaps the demographics can be shifted, that it, it could even be 50-50 or uh, – worse or, or whatnot depending on your context i know the uk understand or the uk experience uh the, the diaspora the muslim diaspora in the uk is much different than the 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 american diaspora uh the muslim diaspora experience um and there's a lot of factors that go into that but basically there's a lot going on here that's different yeah would would, would you guys say that uh, a show a show like rami would be um quote unquote islamic that's so different. Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> that's though. a great question. I actually think that's yeah. a great question. Yeah. yeah. Subhanallah, man. I mean, the thing is that the only reason that exists is because he's a Muslim. And if he wasn't a Muslim, none of that story would exist, right? And it's the exact mm-hmm. same as uh, A Thousand and One Nights, like you said. It's the exact same as, uh, you know, the quote unquote philosophers. Um, these things are really. You know, from a our like perspective, we we don't like these th- like these things aren't great, right? Um, as just from orthodoxy, they're not great. Mm-hmm. But, like they only exist mm-hmm. because they spring from this thing, and I don't know whether this is an observation. This is an observation, but I don't know what to do with it personally because it's like they're still not quote unquote welcome, but is they're the reality? Like they exist because. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a tricky thing. I don't know what to do with it because you you have to accept that they only exist because they come from a Muslim source, mm. but they don't come from. I mean, it's not a pure spiritual source. It's not. They're not coming <sighs> from yeah. the deen. Yeah. This is. Like, what what and, are you thinking? They're not coming from the deen. They're coming from an interaction the with the deen. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like you have. It's 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 in a, a physical model. You have like you have a, a planet. And you have a meteorite that has been affected by the gravity of the planet, and it's moved. Its trajectory has changed because of the interaction, but it, it has it has nothing. It's taken nothing from the planet. I don't know. That's a that's just a model I thought of. Okay, yeah. I feel like you want to say something. I think we're touching on something quite interesting because I, I mean we brought up stuff from from I guess Islamic history a few times. Things like Thousand One Arabian Nights. Uh, you, you mentioned Rumi, um, Hafiz, of course, uh, and many and many other things. Um, for instance, I, I could bring up like the likes of Abu Nuwas and and, uh, and 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 so forth and so on and so forth. And I think uh, in our tradition, at least, um, the agent of time uh, is actually quite quite powerful because we we are a, a living tradition that's passed on from from generation and generation from generation to generation. And what we and what tends to happen, at least, is. Uh, uh, I'm not sure why, but we tend to just by nature kind of glorify our history, clean it up a bit, and 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 anything that's yeah. historical um, has uh, just with purely by by the fact of time uh, gets this veneer of of Islam and and religiosity and uh, 
uh, purity. So that even things which, uh, as Muhammad said earlier, things which, which were not necessarily written um, for any maybe religious purpose, uh, which we can sit here today and, and, and we can speak of them. And uh, it's like, oh, that, that was the glory of Islam. I, I can recite a poem here that has <laughs> nothing to do with, with religion that might actually be uh, quite, quite bad in its content. But uh, we can sit here and be like, ah, oh, that, that was the glory. That was the glory of Islam. Uh, look at that. Um, and and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing this even now, like uh, with the likes of uh, um, <laughs> the, 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 one of the, I guess, greatest Arab uh, singers of, of the last century was uh, an, 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 an Egyptian lady called Umm Kulthum. And uh, you, you really, you, you really do sense this kind of uh, um, slowly uh, uh, as time goes on. Uh, yeah, there, there is this almost kind of Islamic pride in <laughs> in, in the songs of Umm and, and so on, and, and her apparent modesty and and so on. And, and everyone's like, yeah, the, 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 there's a certain like Islamic uh, something about uh, about um, even though no, she well, of course she came from an Islamic background, and and they say that she was a recite of Quran in, in, when she was young and that's where her talent was was first seen but it, it's quite interesting we are that kind of I guess tradition and uh, perhaps with with shows like uh-huh. Rami and, and so on maybe they, they just need time <laughs> which is, uh, which is a bit, uh, terrifying a bit terrifying <laughs> um, perhaps with time uh, the, the, the bad things about them will kind of disappear and people will just think oh that was the Muslims are doing something. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think the fact that I, I personally, the fact that I found that such a difficult question is a real red flag that shows that my way of understanding this is perhaps a bit awkward. Yeah. Um, maybe it's not. I mean, sociologically, it's not because it, it makes sense. But in terms of, it's not comfortable. Mm. Um, and I don't know whether I should be comfortable with the fact that it's mm. not comfortable. I mean, I'd say because, that uh, while accepting that this is not, you know, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does it go then, right? Do we do we just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say that, like, from a sociological historical perspective, wh- what does it mean, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say the the point is kind of in in managing the inherent contradictions there will always be contradictions the world and life does not lend itself to complete purity does not lend itself to an inherent whole that can be taken and consumed as is there's always going to be some bruise on the apple that you need to cut out and just, there will always be compromises in our lives this is why i like looking at things like al because we have these rose tinted glasses as to the Islamic past, but if you open up a page and you read a story about like some random character who is consuming hashish and kind of just wandering around the city and his insane antics that are very clearly haram, and you recognize yeah. that they struggled with the same things we do today, it kind of reminds you that they're human too, um, and that this is just part of the test of the dunya. That uh, there will always be contradictions, and we need to manage them. We need. To to not diminish the uh, the primacy of the the orthodox understandings and like halal and haram and the deen itself that this is king deen is the king and then everything else is just us trying to climb up the stairs towards that um, and the, we benefit very little I think by either 
whitewashing the past and saying that there was nothing wrong in the past and ignoring our like past missteps basically or the the issues in the past or by giving the past an unnecessary religious veneer that the good was still some or that the bad was still somehow good because it was islamic um that we kind of need to, in my mind at least, recognize the good and recognize the bad and kind of going back to the cloud, recognize that the cloud does have dark patches in it. Um, but as you said, the core is still pure and clean. Grasp onto the core and just kind of muddle your way through the, the rest of the mm. cloud. Uh, one analogy, perhaps a bit better than a cloud and makes perhaps more sense and is in some way rooted to Islamic history is a tree. Um What's his name? Uh, there's this. Uh, there's an author whose name I'm completely forgetting. Uh, the Siyasatnama, uh, Nizam al-Mulk. There we go. Nizam al-Mulk, who authors the Siyasatnama, comes out with this analogy, uh, which he titles the Tree of Islam. That the trunk or the seed is the Prophet ﷺ is the religion itself, and then you have the branching out of the tree. And if you elaborate on the tree analogy, you have the potentiality for and the possibility for rotten branches, something that is a deviation from the trunk that ultimately can be disregarded, can be recognized as not being essentially part of the tree. And you can also the purpose like, of the tree. Yeah, yeah like it was uh, like, yeah. And you can have like good fruits and, and bad fruits. You can have you yes, can yeah. transplant branches of the tree elsewhere. You can transplant branches from other trees into the main tree. Um, but the idea is kind of to recognize the, the tree and the unity of the tree. So this is the tree of Islam. But then like culture is one branch. Deen is the other branch. Imam Ghazali and Umm Kalthum and Rami <laughs> all occupy three different branches of the tree. Um, and But without necessarily saying that Imam Ghazali has absolutely nothing to do with Rami or like American Muslims. Even though if you've walked into a masjid and sat through a khutbah, there is like an 80% chance you have heard someone who has either read Imam Ghazali or has quoted Imam Ghazali to you. Um, hmm. So yeah, that's just my kind of two cents hmm. on it. I think with a lot of great metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if any of you are familiar with with Shahab Ahmed's Finding Islam, um, and and the ideas he he discusses when it comes to this. But I think he's quite he's um, at least within academic academic circles, um, and I guess among students of Islamic studies and so on, he's he's the big big figure when it comes to to this. So perhaps some discussions of uh, of of what he, what he's saying might be actually quite beneficial. If if any of you are familiar with that. I mean, I've come across some interactions with him. I haven't actually read his work, but I know at least from my friend, mm. from the circles I'm in, it was not received uh, with open arms. <laughs> um, because my understanding of his work is that it allows for kind of the for some of these darker bits or these bad bits within the Islamic past to have a veneer of authority that you can talk about an authentically Islamic tradition of wine drinking disregarding the kind of Quranic unanimous clear uh, uh, condemnation of wine drinking and alcohol and, and whatnot. Um, but I mean, I can't speak to that because I have not engaged in the, with the work personally. Just very quickly, I think it's it's interesting how we maintain the primacy of um, scripture and stuff, um, and the primacy of of um, the the orthodoxy, because when you yeah. when we don't have that, what we're seeing more and more in the modern, in kind of today's age, 
is you'll have uh, this idea that everything is on the on a level playing field, and there is no judge of, of what is more more appropriate. So you have a uh, you know I, I was watching some Muslims in Britain, Muslims like or something, some documentary in which you had a a very staunch, mashallah, very uh, you know maybe you could say over the top Salafi brother. He was having a discussion with a, a lady who uh, said, I don't pray, I write letters to God, right? Um, and the entire purpose of that documentary was to present an, a variety of Muslims and say that everybody, you know, people live differently and, you know, everyone, everyone's on their own page because they're all from the Muslim cloud, right? But th- th- there's no foundation. And so because you can't judge it by anything, you judge it by nothing and everything's fine. Um, just, it's an interesting challenge how we, we keep up the, the primacy of and the importance of, of, of a measuring stick. Yeah. Um, because the cloud without the, the center is pointless or the, the, the tree without the trunk, right? Yeah. Sh- shout out to brother uh, Abdul Haq. I remember watching that documentary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. yeah. That dog, that, honestly, that, that, I mean, if you can call it a documentary, it frustrated me so much. You guys should watch it. It's really interesting. It is interesting. It is it interesting, interesting, but I think it's frustrating as well at the same time because, like, um, the thing is, like, you, you know, if we take brother Abdul Haq as an example, um, so he was a revert and very much in the documentary, you know, and in terms of his personality, they did, they did, a, they, they tried to frame him, you know, as someone, yeah, as someone very extreme, very overzealous and so on, uh, because he's reverted and, and, and this stuff. And like, to some degree, yeah, fair enough. I, I could see why, uh, given his nature and, you know, that, that, you know, the, the other people that he would interact with would seem that way. But at the same time, the one thing I think he he deserves credit for compared to everyone else that was in that documentary, everyone else would just say how basically derive opinions based of how they feel or what their wants are. Whereas his were derived from what he believed is from his religion, from the Quran, from Sunnah, from basically yep. the, the, the laws that are prescribed. So you can argue about whether he, you know, he, he was um, too strict on certain things. And certainly I think, his own just the way is his people skills probably were not the best even though i think his intentions generally were good but it's at least he had a foundation for for what his 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 stance was on these things whereas i remember there's one brother i can't remember his name in the show but like um he just like i i didn't like <laughs> i found him frustrating because he clearly was just basically going through life um without really thinking <laughs> like his uh remember at the start he's saying like um <laughs> I think he was Pakistani, and uh, at the start it was yeah, he was, say, he was saying like, uh, he, you know, one day his sister and his mom <laughs> said to him, uh, "You're gonna, you know, you're gonna get married today or something like that very soon." He was like, "Oh, really? Okay, uh, boy or girl?" He said that as a joke. <laughs> I was like, it's clear that you know he, he's just going off basically what the path that is set in front of him without actually doing any, any critical thinking or being self-aware, and he wasn't alone in that. I think. Yep. Uh, and bro, in the, in today's time, that's it's very easy to pass that off as I'm just doing what yeah. I want. Yeah. Right. I'm I'm living for yeah. Anyway, no, that's very true. And I remember there was one point as well. I remember where they there's this, they they decide to to go out. You know, go on a night out. You know, and um, one of the sisters in that show, uh, she like she went with them, and I remember distinctly she said like um. Uh, basically, she, she clearly acknowledged it's not right where they are. They're in a club and stuff. There's alcohol around them. People drinking around them. And I can't remember the exact quote, so I'll paraphrase, but it was basically like saying, um, you know, I think it's important for people to see me in a place like this because I don't think I should always be a represent- representative for my religion. And I'm like, I remember watching that and thinking, that's not up to you. <laughs> that's not your decision. 
you yeah. don't get to, you don't get to choose yeah. when a person looks at you looks at you as an example of a, what a Muslim Muslim is and then doesn't. You know, that's that's not how, that's not how, that's not how it works. And I think it's a very very dangerous uh, th- like very very dangerous thought process to have. You know, but I mean at the same time I can understand her sentiment in that. I don't want to be the standard. Like, if you're looking for a good Muslim, don't look mm. at me. This isn't what I am. Um, yeah. And I, I, I can understand that emotional sentiment. Um, but at the same time, this comes into, like, modulating people's external uh, kind of views on us. Um, yeah. And the, the issue with, like, racism and essentializing and all that is that on some level, people can't separate or won't separate between different aspects of someone's life. It can be easy for you to to compartmentalize, but to ask someone else to compartmentalize your life or to agree to those compartmentalizations uh, is yeah. tricky. Um, I had another point that I was going to say. Uh, oh, uh, there was this about this idea of uh, Brother Abdul Haq seeming kind of extreme because he had some sort of guidelines to uh, to live his yeah, life yeah. by. It reminded me of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he says, "Bada al Islam gariban wa sayyudu gariban fatuba lil The Islam began as a stranger and will return to being a stranger, and so give glad tidings to the strangers that in a world where Ultimately, what we want and the instant gratification of our impulses and emotions is king. To adhere to some set of standards would be seen as extreme uh, because – I mean you can talk about the intellectual trajectory of this kind of erosion of top-down authorities where you are sovereign in your your own self, where you are the one who dictates the course of your life, not beholden to any human master or uh, celestial master. And then you have someone who comes out of nowhere which says – who says, I will live my life bound by these kind of – uh, bound by these authorities within this structure, within this framework and – it can be jarring, basically. I'm conscious that Khabib wanted yeah. to say something, but I just want to throw in a quote very quickly. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, um, a Christian, I think he was Catholic, mm-hmm. um, theologian, philosopher from the past couple of centuries, he said something very interesting. He said, um, modern people, I'm paraphrasing, he said, modern people mm-hmm. won't <laughs> accept, um, will not accept a, will not accept any dogma on an authority but they'll accept any dogma on no authority. <laughs> yeah? Modern people won't accept the dogma on any authority, but they will accept any dogma on no authority. Right? It's this idea that you don't want to be pinned to anything. <laughs> right? Morality, by definition, is, is choosing what not to do. Right? Um, and, and that's a very uncomfortable thing for people for some reason. Um, it's this idea that, you know, we'll do anything apart from being told what not to do. Um, but yeah, a bit. Mm. You know, I I I find that I find I find that very interesting, and uh, I guess it's uh, perhaps perhaps a topic for 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 another podcast, but certainly something uh, we should we should perhaps uh, yeah discuss in more detail. Um, <clears throat> I, I I guess my my point was uh, just with regards to, to to what you were saying, Muhammad, um, about uh, you know there are many Muslims who do go out there and say I'm not a representative. Don't look at me if you want a good Muslim. Um, and I, I just find that phrase in itself, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting because first of all, it suggests that, uh, first of all, uh, they don't consider themselves a good Muslim. They have a, a conception of what a good Muslim is. They, they understand that what they are is not a good Muslim. Um, and then, uh, and then what usually comes along with that is the sense of, um, when, 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 when they do find somebody who, who 
fits the definition of a, of a good Muslim. It's uh, uh, there's almost a sense of pity. Oh my God, you've taken on onto yourself all these all these burdens, and uh, and, and you're carrying the standard or banner for everyone else. You're so brave, and <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. And uh, and I just find that quite uh, quite. Uh, it reminds me of the point I made at the beginning, where you know you have a lot of Muslims who who do believe that Islam is is the way and, and they identify with it very strongly, but they just don't seem to have the the, the courage or the will or, or whatever it is to actually uh, live live according to to the principles they clearly um, um, believe are true and, and correct, you know. And um, I, I think we just um, yeah, it's 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 a sad it's a sad state of affairs that that, that we do seem to think that to, to live by our principles is uh, some kind of chain or. Um, when truly it isn't is it's the ultimate form of freedom, um, but perhaps uh, perhaps we're we're straying slightly from <laughs> from from the point at hand. Yeah, that's the nature of that. That's the That's the beauty of of this podcast. This is a uh, it's unstructured. You know, um, <laughs> that's the approach we like to take. That's a that's the USP of this podcast. <laughs> There's no other podcast. Exactly. Like <laughs> um, you know, what? I think though that's uh, it's actually a good note to conclude on. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it touch it, it definitely touches on, I think an insecurity of people like we, um, we want to, you know, I think a lot of Muslims, they want to be viewed as Muslim, but at the same time, they don't want to be viewed as the Muslim, you know, that's the challenge. And, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's something that, um, we have to kind of try and get into the mindset that our deen and living by it is is not this big scary thing and not this impossible task it's not about being perfect but by 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 striving to be the best that we can be and that's always going to be a, a lifelong journey and that, that it's important to to see that muslim is uh, i'm sure and that's not really in arabic is it because meme on the front of it anyway it's more of a verb than a noun <laughs> even though that's mm-hmm. not strictly the case in arabic i guess um it's a verb that's become a noun, isn't it? Uh, more, da, da, da. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we can yeah. just pretend that's not the case. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, an, it's an action. Uh, you can't just label yourself. Um, you know, what sort of last like the entire message is that you, it's, it's a positive thing. Uh, you know, everyone's in loss, except the people who believe, do good deeds, uh, remind each other to... Uh, uh, the truth remind each other to solve patience, right? Like this is this is a definition of of action, not of of identity, right? Um, so it's, it's yeah, you you kind of have to be the Muslim, right? Because it's you, it's not a passive thing. That is the goal. Yeah. It's the journey. It's not about the destination. It's exactly. the journey. Doing something because that is what defines you. Exactly. And you know what? That's that was beautifully said. And uh, that's how we're going to conclude this podcast, mashallah. Um, uh, that's why I brought you guys on. You know, all three of you compliment each other very well, mashallah. So, Jazakallah Khair, guys. This was a really good discussion. Jazakallah Khair to all of you for listening. And inshallah, we will see you on the next episode uh, from all of us here at Finding Islam. Take care and assalamu alaikum. <laughs>